You don't understand the significance of asking me that? No, I don't. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm your host, Adam Roberts. I'm here, as always, with my lovely husband, Craig Johnson. Hello. And we were just talking because, um, you know, sometimes before we start this introduction, I like to think about what am I going to talk to Craig about? Because he's no food expert. Why is he even here? Well, I think I've become a de facto food expert after being married to you for far too long. You think you're a food expert? Not an expert, but I've, I have a sense of food and food culture and restaurant culture and even cooking. I think I think if if left to my own devices, I could whip something together that would surprise you. You claim that all the time, and yet you've never volunteered to whip something together for I know me. I haven't. I, I, I made you a delicious grilled cheese you do, once. Actually, and Craig, I should say, makes a better grilled cheese than I do because he does low heat, which is kind of surprising. You think when you want a griddled sandwich you do like high because you want it golden brown on the the, the key <laughs> is to get the bread golden brown mm-hmm. um and but also melt the cheese right you don't want unmelted cheese in your grilled cheese with like singed bread and that's what happens if you cook it on too high of a heat and you put Though, the lid on you made the greatest grilled cheese of all time that whatever that crazy one was with like caramelized onions do you remember that yeah i, I don't remember Ugh. i don't think i don't know if it was a recipe but i i took like two or three onions and i Hooked them down in butter and olive oil for like an hour until they were like golden, beautiful, glistening onions. And then I put them on bread that I had spread with mustard. And um, That's right. And then the cheese. You had like a couple cheeses or something? Yeah, I think it was like a, was it a smoked Gouda? Or- yeah, it was. It was a smoked Gouda and like another cheese. Or maybe just a smoked Gouda. It was the best grilled cheese I'd ever had. Well, thank you. I mean, I'll take that compliment. But you actually helped me make it. Do you remember that like, you came into the I kitchen? did. I told you how to do it. But the secret is we I used a giant skillet, and then I melted butter in the skillet. And then I put the cheese in and on low heat, or the sandwiches in. And then I put the lid on, was the other part of it that you taught me. Oh, yeah. Because the lid the keeps the heat inside. Circulated inside, yeah. Well, we were talking before we started recording this intro, because I was saying to Craig, something's very surprising happened yesterday that he didn't think was particularly significant. But I found it to be like a huge threshold moment in our entire relationship history, which is you asked me yesterday what I had for lunch. I don't quite get the significance. Because you've never shown interest in what I had for lunch before. Yeah, but I I, I can't even remember what motivated me to ask it. So I don't know that it's a significant, I think I could have just been filling a gap in our conversation. Uh, I, I can't, get my brain to go back to what I was thinking yesterday when I asked it. But tell me why it was significant to you. Because I think that um, you always find it frivolous and silly when I ask you what you had for lunch. You're like, Ugh, like why would you want to know that? I don't think that's my reaction. I, I, I think it's kind of funny because you always ask me. It's the, in fact, when I see you at the end of the day, it's the first thing often you ask me is what I had for lunch. Which makes me the perfect uh, host of a podcast called well, Lunch true. Therapy. This is true. But you asked me yesterday. Uh-huh. What, what did you have for lunch yesterday? I don't remember. Yesterday I went to this place um, in Atwater Village called Viet Noodle Bar, and I had a banh mi sandwich. Mm-hmm. And actually, what was significant for me, and I put this on the Instagram, if you're not following the Instagram for lunch therapy, it's lunch therapy on Instagram. But there was a giant communal table. So I wanted to go to um, this place in Atwater, which is our neighborhood called Viet Noodle Bar, because they have, um, I think they have really good banh mi sandwiches, and I was kind of craving it. And when I walked in, every table was packed and the communal table was packed. And there was like one little seat. And normally I would just leave, but it was raining and I'd parked my car far away. So I was like, you know what? 
I'm a ma- I'm a grown man. I can sit in. A- what are your issues with communal tables? Well, I don't mind sitting at a communal table if I have to with somebody else, but sitting by yourself at a communal table feels very sad. I don't think so. I don't think so at all. I think you have to. I think you have to embrace it, especially if there's not another seat there. Yeah, it's true. And I have. I, it's always funny because I always bring a magazine with me. I brought the New Yorker. And so I always feel a little bit like I'm not alone if I have my magazine. I would feel very alone if I didn't have a phone or a magazine and I was just sitting there. I would feel so alone. Well, who doesn't have a phone these days? I know. But I'm just saying, like, it's, it's interesting, these things that kind of, like, shield us from our sense of solitude and isolation. Oh, that's very deep. Thank you. How about you? What did you have for lunch ye- yesterday? I don't ha- remember. I can I remember never quite yesterday. remember my lunch. I can tell you what you had for lunch every day Wait. this week. <laughs> oh boy you're gonna be riveting your view, your listeners what did i have for lunch yesterday you had a sandwich from conby oh yeah which was on the cover i think of bon appetit magazine in uh, about an article on the best restaurant like in the country which is crazy which is crazy yeah i mean i don't mean to editorialize here on lunch therapy but bon appetit magazine said they ranked the best rest- new restaurants in the united states and they said the number one best new restaurant in the United States was this place, Conby, which opened up in Echo Park, which is great. I mean, I don't it's mean to, really good. I don't mean I to put w- it down by I any means. I swung by there yesterday and got their um, pork katsu sandwich, sort of Japanese style, um, little sandwiches and, and salads and, and things like that. And um, it, it, it's truly <laughs> del- delicious. The sandwiches are great. There's a little egg salad sandwich. There's this little pork katsu sandwich, which is delicious. But it's so, there's something about the the rise of kanbi that's kind of very much a, a product of the times that we're living in. It's like, I think I think a huge part of it was the Instagram ability of their egg salad sandwich. They have this egg salad sandwich where they slice through the egg. So when you like bite into the sandwich, you see like a half of an egg. I don't know, it just looks good on Instagram. Or when they... When they cut the sandwich in half, it's just like very Instagrammable. Mm-hmm. But it's something about it. It just feels like Look, a lot of hype. It, here, here's the thing. It, it's always hype. These, the, whenever the hyperbole of the greatest XYZ of all time, here's the new, it's, you know, it sells magazines. And so it's never true. It's just kind of to kick off a conversation. Because well, like there, there's no such thing as the greatest. It's like, what is your criteria? So it's totally fine to say that this is the greatest new restaurant because it's, Totally good. It doesn't it doesn't disappoint, but it's it's like what's your what's your criteria? Well, I think I think maybe what it speaks to is this um you know, what's the word? Like it's sort of like the shift in terms of what people want from great restaurants now. It's like it used to be um you know, formal French laundry kind of like, you know, there was an era where like the French laundry was considered the best restaurant in the United States, and it feels like the mood of the country is shifting. I think as people are are kind of becoming more aware of the d- disparities and you know between uh, income and wealth and you know the one percent. It feels like those kinds of restaurants, like the French Laundry, are for the one percent now. It's like those aren't for. Well, they were always for the one percent. They were always for that, but it felt like the food media, the food establishment, was writing for the one percent, and now they're shifting their who their audience is. I think there's a bigger audience now for food things, and so it's sort of like they're not the younger people and people who are watching Bon Appetit YouTube videos and stuff aren't going to want to go to the white tablecloth $1,000 no, restaurant. So they're that's much true. more likely to go to the, the Conby and places like that. That's true. That's true. And Conby is affordable. It's true. Well, this is actually a great lead-in to today's guest because my guest today is Zach Brooks, who is the um, founder of the website Midtown Lunch, which was all about helping people find uh, a good place to eat lunch in Midtown Manhattan when he started it. 
about like 15 years ago. Anybody who's lived in New York City knows that it is very helpful to have a guide as to where to eat good food in Midtown because there's a lot of places to go and you don't want to go to a lot of them. And Zach was at the forefront of that. And he started his blog around the same time I started my blog. So we talk all about being, you know, founding fathers and mothers of the food blog revolution. And then Zach actually had a great podcast for a while called Food is the New Rock, where he interviewed rock stars about food and food people about music. And he's currently um, curating a really cool event in downtown L.A. called Smorgasburg, L.A., which I very embarrassingly haven't been to yet. And I felt so embarrassed uh, having Zach on and not having been there yet. So Craig and I, I promised him that we would go. So we're going to go sometime soon. Sure. This is it sounds great. It's really cool. Like it has a lot of great food stuff. Um, So before we get today's uh, to today's interview, I just want to remind you, if you haven't already, uh, you should subscribe to Lunch Therapy. Just go to Lunch Therapy under Apple Podcasts, click subscribe. And while you're there, you know, you've heard this before, but if you can write a review, it makes a huge difference. So please just five stars if you can. All right. So without further ado, here's today's interview with Zach Brooks. I hit record because you're saying, <laughs> you're saying my mom's episode was similar to your life. Well, I just uh, like just I don't know. Listening to your mom, your upbringing, yeah, your mom, <laughs> and I just there's so many similarities between our moms, right? And how, and I feel like, and I don't know if it's led to so many similarities between you and I, right? Even though on the face of it, we're not. I don't. I don't think you would describe me as. Someone who's exactly like you, like it's just like like the two. But we have we do have a lot of similarities. We're both like, Jews who grew yes, up in Florida, yes. who like musical theater, yes, who love musical theater, <laughs> who weirdly got into the career of food blogging, yes, started in pod- New York in around New York, the same time, the started same time, podcasts and yeah. then podcasting, and then that's about it. Um, you know, we both love your husband. Oh, uh, no. <laughs> What's going on? Well, uh, anyway, well, Zach, it's so nice to have you here. I do feel like you are the perfect guest for this podcast. And I don't say that lightly. Like, I feel like this podcast was designed for you. I mean, I uh, I agree. <laughs> I, uh, I'm i glad that you said it so that I didn't have to say it. I mean, we should start by saying that you are Midtown Lunch. Yes. That is yeah. your handle. If, that's your Instagram. Yeah, I mean, that was my... That was my entry point into the food world. But lunch is like yes, your lunch thing. Yes, lunch is, it's my thing. It is, yeah. And my or, dirty secret is that lunch is not my thing. Um, You mean like dirty secret? I'm hosting a podcast called Lunch Therapy and I don't particularly like enjoy lunch, but I, it just kind of made sense because it was like, well, I'm not going to ask people about what they had for breakfast. That doesn't feel as significant. Is your breakfast is your thing? No, but I, I think I put more thought into my breakfast than I do my lunch. And then dinner is definitely my thing. So, and that's because, is that because (laughs) you're, because your entry point to food is cooking. And so you would always make yourself breakfast or make dinner for yourself and other people like entertaining, but lunch is that thing that you just do to subsist throughout the day. Actually, this is interesting. I mean, this shouldn't be my therapy session. We're, you know, like really. <laughs> well, then we could, I could tell you, but then, oh yeah, we'll but then it, you. We're gonna, it go, yeah, I'm, we're going to yeah. go into your soul. <laughs> but for me, I mean, actually you kind of, I, I would say like there was like this period of time where, when I first moved to LA, where you and I would frequently go to lunches. And I think that was during a period where I was like a huge Jonathan Gold fan and I was a lunch, like, 
adventurer. Like there, it was just this part of my life where I wanted to go to the San Gabriel Valley. I wanted to go to all these places. I, it was sort of like, what's that thing? Like being like, like a spiritual wanderer of like, I got to, I got to try something different. I have to try something new. You're and just describing my life, basically, life. Like my no, every day. No, yeah. it is your life. And then somewhere along the way, I I think it was two things. One was... You got a job? I got a job. <laughs> yeah, of course. That was the first thing, was I got a TV writing job. But that basically just gave me tons of anxiety about like the indul- quote-unquote indulgence of taking time to go eat a good lunch. Which I believe is everybody's God-given right. And it is. But the other thing was I got high cholesterol. I had like high cholesterol mm. in that period. So then I went on this whole smoothie diet thing where I was going to have smoothies for lunch. And, and that's, that's that's where our stories diverge. They, they, no, it really is. Because then, I have shockingly low cholesterol. Really? For, and I think it's just genetic. Like there's no... It must be because Craig re, yeah. has extraordinarily high cholesterol and he barely eats. And so. same with my my wife has high cholesterol and she exercises and eats well. Yeah. And I am the opposite and have always had low cholesterol. That's so interesting. So Okay, so let's get into your life a little bit. So before we get into your lunch, which unfortunately I did see a little sneak preview of it on Instagram, but I quickly swipe past because I don't want to color my impressions too early. But I wanted to ask, so just for people who don't know you, you started your blog Midtown Lunch in 2006. 2006, yeah. And at the time, it was sort of like, it was this perfect thing for people who lived in Midtown Manhattan. They went to your blog and you told them where to eat lunch. Yeah, I mean, I well, I worked in Midtown <laughs> at uh, Sirius Satellite Radio, which was my previous career. And I wanted to start a blog. It was 2006, New York. I wanted to take pictures of my food. And it was my my wife and I had real jobs and we had disposable income and we mm-hmm. wanted to eat at these amazing restaurants like Babo and Momofuku and mm-hmm. just all, you know, it was just the, it was a really good time to be living in New York and loving food. Yeah. And I started a blog, a restaurant blog that I wrote like a few reviews of like, not Midtown Babo and oh yeah yeah and like what was it Mama called Fuku, I will never say because oh. it probably lives somewhere like wow um and you know I wrote like five or six reviews and I was like this is so stupid like mm-hmm. who cares what I think about these places I have no I did what uh what no other bloggers do which is to say nobody wants this <laughs> uh, like to to recognize right. that nobody would want this. Um, but I also worked in Midtown, which is a notoriously terrible place to eat, mm-hmm. especially for lunch for people who work there. And I started finding these little places. People would tell me about if they find it, you know, your coworker or whatever. Oh, I know this little place that if you go two blocks out of your way or whatever and, mm-hmm. you know, pass two Chipotles and, you know, three make your own salad bars. Like you'll right. find this little Chinese food place. And was there like a moment like where you had a meal in Midtown where you were like, yeah, is- it was, it was actually the first place I wrote about on Midtown lunch was what inspired me to start the blog was this place called Hing Wan, which was on 48th between fifth and six. And it was a Chinese food restaurant, which I love Chinese food. And you walked in and it had two lines on the left-hand side. It was like a steam table of like Panda Expresses. Panda Express-ish Chinese food, like Uh orange chicken and egg rolls and the stuff that we grew up eating uh, as Jews whose parents were from New York. Oh, yeah. Um, And it was all these, like, you know, fat white guys in suits, like, in line, right? And then (coughs) 
On the right-hand side was another line that was mostly Asian people that behind the other side, like behind the counter on the right-hand side, mm-hmm. there was like meats like hanging, like roast uh, pork okay. and uh, roast pig and ducks. And then there were these handwritten signs that were mostly in Chinese above the counter. And then beneath them would just be like, you know, roast pork over rice or, you know, bitter melon soup or mm-hmm. something like that. And so- I just had this moment where I was like, oh, this place is amazing. These two different sides of the same restaurant right. catering to two different clientele. And, you know, the the steam table stuff was perfectly fine. But the right-hand side, which not a lot of white people were eating at, yeah. was like a revelation. And that's so that was, was my that. first blog post. And, you know, that's when I started Midtown Lunch. And it was I – f- I felt like it was a real service, right? Like mm-hmm. it was it was a food blog, but it wasn't like – a typical food blog of the time felt like it was more like a um, felt like more of a beat reporter yeah. than like a food writer. Well, I think you and I were similar in that what really got people excited about what, we, what both of us were doing was our, our zeal for, <laughs> for for what we were covering. Totally. It's, it's like you can drop some random person to Midtown and be like, go find lunch. And they'd be like, what are you talking about? The fact that you were so excited about it. And I think for me, my whole thing was like learning how to cook because when I started my blog, I didn't know anything. So I think it was the zeal was like, I'm going to make sourdough bread, you know? So, um, do people make fun of you? Cause I also got made fun of, why? which helped actually, because well at the very beat, like the, what launched the blog was the second week that I was doing it. I did falafel week okay. where every day I was going to eat at a different falafel restaurant in Midtown and post about it. Mm-hmm. And somehow Gawker found out about uh-huh. it and Gawker did this post about how, a site called Midtown Lunch is a total oxymoron, and this guy is doing Falafel Week, which they imagine is going to be followed by Constipation Weekend. <laughs> and that was it. Like, that that one link from Gawker, like, that did it. It blew like, you up? Yeah, just, like... T- I also don't agree that Falafel makes you constipated. I feel like it does I, the opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I actually got made fun of, now that you asked, you mentioned that, the Eater, the founders of Eater, Ben Leventhal and Lockhart Steel, yep. once linked to something I did... And said so the amateur gourmet is like the naked cowboy of food writing. You know, he's operating on rules that might make sense on another planet, but don't make sense here. Or just some Listen, t- at the time, that was a huge compliment. Oh, yeah. yeah at the like, time. Okay. At the I time. I was like, what Historically speaking, maybe it hasn't aged as well but as, <laughs> right. as a compliment. Well, I do walk around naked and play guitar a lot. <laughs> I um, was very famous. So, okay. And the other thing we should bring up before we get to your lunch, which we're about to get to, is that you had a podcast called Food is the New Rock. And I feel like I should ask you now that I'm doing this podcast, like, was that a good experience? Like, is it something that you Um, enjoyed doing? Yeah, no, I mean, I did it because (laughs) I... um, Sorry, I keep coughing everyone, but I'm getting over a cold. Uh, Yeah, I did it because I started in radio and I was doing Midtown Lunch. I I left radio to do Midtown Lunch. Mm -hmm. And then I was doing all food writing and I really wanted to get back into doing something that I do with radio and music. Like, I love music. And, you know... Every week we talked to a chef just about music or a musician just about food. Mm-hmm. So it was amazing. I got to sit down with every like famous chef and musician that you would imagine would want to talk about food or music, you know, like Questlove or David Chang. How did or, you get all these? How did well, that was it? the thing is that I got, I mean, I, part of it was luck. Um, right. Part of it was uh, these people never got asked to talk about the thing that I, and they were very passionate about it. So to ask you know, 
David Chang to talk about music, mm-hmm. you know, or Questlove to talk about food. Right, like I they see. were excited to come on and talk about this. And I also got um, my first guest was uh, Roy Choi mm-hmm. and Mike D from the Beastie Boys, which yes. happened very luckily. Wow. And then my second guest was Jonathan Gold. And my third guest was David Chang and Peter Meehan. Amazing. And so from that point on, when you send an email to somebody saying previous guests include, right. no one's going to look at that email and be like, well, I'm too big for this. Like, that's really, and smart. so I really, yeah. uh, which is just to say that I suckered a lot of really famous <laughs> no, people onto great- coming on to a show that, uh, did not get a huge number of, well, relative food podcasts are relatively not as, you know, it's not, I don't know. It, it was, <laughs> it was very, it was very popular way. for a food podcast, but that right. did, but I made no money from yeah. it. So when I got my current job, which is a real job with an actual salary. Oh yeah. And now you're doing I, Smorgasburg yeah. LA. Okay. So when I got the job running Smorgasburg here in Los Smorgasburg. Angeles, did yeah. I say it wrong? Uh, I don't know. Whatever. You said it the way my mom says yeah, it. Yeah. Like a Jewish thing. Yeah. But it's not yeah, Jewish. Yeah. It's Swedish, right? Well, it's, it's, it started in Brooklyn in right. Williamsburg. So it's Smorgasburg. And Williamsburg, right? So it's just been so smorgasburg is what. But I also feel like Jewish people, like my mom would be like, "Yes, my like, mom, I'm going to put out a smorgasbord." My mom <laughs> still calls it smorgasburg. She can't. <laughs> she can't not do it. Wow. Uh, so and it's an event here in LA where all these food vendors come. And you and I have a huge um, issue because I still haven't come to it. What do you mean that we have an issue? No, I like, know. you mean? Like, I feel like it's in our friendship. Like, I feel like I've always wanted to come, but Sundays I have like this routine. Are you admitting down. that you're a terrible friend? I am a terrible friend. And you feel friend. guilty no, about I do, it? I have huge Or are you guilt. accusing me of being a horrible person for hating you because you've never been? No, I'm saying you should absolutely <laughs> hate me as much as I hate myself for not having been. But I'm going to go. I'm saying it here on this podcast. That I am going to go to Schmorgisberg. <laughs> All right, Zach, the time has come to from ask my- Midtown Lunch himself. What did you have for lunch today? Well, I mean, do you just want to know or do you want to know like the like the neuroses that went into picking? This was a big deal. It's a big deal. Yeah. I feel like. I feel like already, like from our interaction before this even happened, when I, I texted you, you were nervous about which day of the week this was. Well, gonna be. right. Because I was like, oh, we should do it Thursday because I had I was supposed to have a tasting at 11 a.m. on Thursday of mm-hmm. this crazy like steak sandwich thing. And I thought it'd be a good story to tell. Yeah. About that. But then I, I wasn't sure if like, does that count as a lunch? Like if I don't, like if I didn't like pay for it mm-hmm. or if it's like a tasting for work, like do I need to eat something afterwards that's actual lunch? Well, here's the um, thing is it's like if you swab somebody's skin to get a DNA sample, it's like you could swab their feet, you could swab their nose, you could swab their ears. And still get a good sense of what's, what makes up their DNA. And I like to believe on this podcast that whatever lunch you eat on any day of the week will be representative of you in some way. Yeah. Because we'll figure out what went into thinking about it. And yeah. So basically, was that I a mean, disgusting analogy. By the way? <laughs> I, was, I wasn't sure where you were going with it at first, but it ended up in the right place. I okay. think. Um, yeah. I just. Um, I. Yeah. I. But. Uh, and then you were like, well, uh, maybe we could do it on Wednesday, uh, Wednesday. Yeah. Today's and, Wednesday. yeah and I was like, oh, but I don't, I don't know any plans on Wednesday. And I kind of really wanted to go to Zoe food party. Have you been to this no, thing I yet? Her, this, uh, it's like a, this, we, it's not a falafel, but it's like a pita pocket. This girl is making pita pockets in a Highland park coffee shop on Wednesday mornings. Oh, is that when she does it? it yeah. It's every Wednesday morning. And, um, it's at eight thirty until she sells out, and I've never been. And every week I want to go, but 
stuff has come up the past. And then I was <coughs> planning on going like a week or two ago mm-hmm. and she canceled and I was. Wait, at 8.30 in the morning, she's serving lunch? It, well, that's the thing is that no, it's a pita pocket filled with veggies and right. other so stuff. Bring it to your lunch. And then that's what I wanted to do this morning. But is that lunch? Like, no. If would it's you a, have eaten it right I would away? have eaten it at 9.30 in the morning. But mm-hmm. then it's like, if I don't eat anything afterwards, can I count that as my lunch? Can oh my I talk God. about this? Do I need to eat another lunch? You're already at our noon? most neurotic lunch Like, therapy? yeah, yes. I was like, I was like, this sucks. Like, do I not go to? And then uh, yesterday, I had this incredible lunch at All Day Baby, which is a new restaurant in Silver Lake. Yeah, owned by the people who own Here's Looking at You, which uh-huh. is one of my favorite dinner restaurants. But I've only been there twice because they're not open for lunch, and lunch is kind of the meal that I have like full reign over. I know. So yeah. now they're opening a lunch place, and I had this incredible meal yesterday that I was like, that would have been perfect. And there were like seven of us. So we ordered all this food and I don't know. It just, just felt like the kind of thing that, Oh, I went to this uh, lunch and it was amazing. Um, and so, uh, (coughs) and then, but then it turns out, but then it turns out my, my thing got canceled for tomorrow. Mm. So that wouldn't have even happened. Okay. And then this morning, Zoe food party got rained out. Oh my gosh. So I didn't end up there. It's, it's been a, it's been a tough two days. Well, already as your lunch therapist, (laughs) without even hearing what you had for lunch, I'm getting a sense that what you eat for lunch is important to you in terms of how it represents who you are. Um, I mean, you're very good at this. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean, obviously, I it's yeah. Wait, I started wait, wait. a blog about my lunches. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, it's yes. Okay, well, let's get to it. So, what did you have for lunch today? And then we'll go back to this. So, I ended up going to a place called Mini Kebab in Glendale, which is this amazing little Armenian place. Have you ever been? I've ordered from there and it's delicious, but it, I, I feel like I need to go and like meet the family. Yeah, it's uh it's run by this um this husband and wife uh who I, it's probably been, it's been open for a couple decades and they have a son who is recently who grew up working in the rest it's not even a restaurant, it's like tiny little hole in the wall with three tables and a counter and you can see them like cooking behind the counter and the son um, has sort of taken over the family business and started an Instagram account for it. And like, he's sort of an influencer himself. And so he's taken this little hole in the wall, Armenian, like literal mom and pop shop Mm -hmm. and turned it into like a thing that gets posted about on Instagram, even though it is, the food is not like that and it's not like that at all and you wouldn't expect it. What do you mean not like that? It's it's just it is rustic traditional Armenian food. Right. Like it is nothing I mean it's it's beautiful to look at for sure, but it's not like some Instagrammable right. It's not like a schlock. panda lollipop. Yeah, or, or like, whatever, and, right. And hot and candy. Exactly. It's and it's not the kind of place where you would walk <laughs> in and be like, "Oh yeah, this looks like a restaurant that would have tens of thousands of followers on Instagram." Um, and so they actually applied to Smorgasburg a couple of years ago. And okay. when I got the application, I was like, so excited amazing. and mini kebab, like this place is amazing. And it's just, it's very much like an LA thing, right? It's sidebar. Can I apply for a place at Smorgasburg? I mean, doing what I you can't a... even make it there once in three <laughs> and a half years. You're going to come every Sunday. I have a great idea for a business. Okay. It's Coco Vaughn. Meatballs? Have I told yes. you this already? No, no. It's like meat, chicken meatballs, but it's like with cocoa von sauce, and it's called Coke and Balls. Um, I think that uh, <laughs> sounds amazing. Uh, I don't think steal that, that listening audience. <laughs> okay, so you went to Mini Kebab, and so um, so I went to Mini Kebab today. Uh, so anyway, the 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 kid uh, Armin who runs the shop for his parents, he actually 
started a new business called Midi's Tacos, which is at Smorgasburg every Sunday. Oh, amazing. But I haven't been back to Mini Kebab since that very first meeting we had there because he's at Smorgasburg every Sunday and I get to eat most of the food and I don't make it over here. I don't make it to Glendale very often for mm-hmm. lunch and you're super close to Glendale. So are you like, a, I mean, so I imagine I, like you're like the Terminator when you see a map of LA in your head, like, you know where you're going to be and like, what's there to eat. Um, I mean, I, well, my, I'm, my memory is not that good. Did your mom talking about taking notes? Did your mom talk about that? Or that was just, that's just my mom. Um, I get your mom and my mom mixed up now. Somebody talked about taking um, notes, but I don't think it was my mom. Uh, does your mom have a good memory or no? My yeah. mom has a terrible Fine. memory oh, no. and, and I have a my terrible memory. My mom like memory. mispronounces, you know, like she'll just say something wrong. Like I can't think of, you know, she'll add like an apostrophe S like, you know, we should go to Sizzlers or that's actually my grandmother would do that. But my mom. Did you eat at Sizzler when you were a kid? Oh, totally. Yeah, so did we. I loved Sizzler. Uh, do you? I mean, like, because of the salad bar or the? I, mean, I haven't been. I live across the street from one. Yeah. but I haven't been back as an adult. That doesn't surprise me. Wait, this is not about me. This is about you. <laughs> well, okay, so wait. What specifically did you eat at Mini Kebab today? So I got the um, the <coughs> the Lula kebabs because what's that? It's like ground. You can get. Like uh, like shish kebab, which is like big chunks of meat grilled over charcoal, or you can get the lula kebab, which is the ground meat mm-hmm. that's like formed into like a like a patty yeah, kind yeah. of thing on a on, on a, a stick. on a skewer, yeah. Skewer, and then you had on like rice with. Like so I got sauce. yeah, I got the chicken and beef combo lula kebab on rice, and it came with hummus and garlic. That garlic paste oh, yeah. that's really good, and bread, and yeah, and it was. Delicious. And then he gave me a couple mini kebabs to go, which I brought for you. Oh, my God. Are you supposed to bring gifts? Do people bring you part of their lunch? Well, I'm actually not supposed to accept gifts as a therapist because I- Is that I, true? Yeah. I mean, it's bribery. Oh. Um, I'd have to throw that away. I'll just I'm leave saying. them. Yeah, I'll burn By it. accident. Actually, we'll probably have that and for dinner tonight. Craig, so that's, Craig can eat it. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll have it tonight. Um, well, thank you for the gift. Actually, I did once give my therapist a gift I, when he was moving away. I think I told this story once in the podcast. But I like brought a copy of my cookbook to give to my therapist because he was leaving. And he's like, thank you so much. And then he handed me a rock. He was like, here's a because like, he had like a windowsill of rocks filled with like rocks. And he's like, here you go. And it was this weird moment where I was like, what is this? Like, is, does this mean he, something? He won that trade. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. So. No yeah. question he about it. I put like a year of my two years of my life into that cookbook. Did you do one extra session to like talk, talk about, about giving happened. giving your own book to someone as a gift as if that's some like it was pretty narcissistic some, that yeah, is true. yeah yeah well I, I was like i want him to remember me but i wanted to thank him for all the help that he gave me but i guess it is yeah pretty <laughs> egotistical here's here's more of me for you <laughs> all right wow okay zach so we're gonna now delve into all this are you ready to too be, much ready to be therapized i mean i don't I, can you handle it like yeah. i feel like no um, i feel like i get it i mean there's too much to really it's not too much so okay i think what i'm really zeroing in on is the importance of having a good meal for lunch and why is it so important to you what would it mean well, to have a bad meal and well, also and there's just one more part of it how much of it is important to represent that you had a good lunch and how much is it important to you that you actually have a good lunch? Well, I will say, I mean, you took a photo of me. I'm I'm not a thin man. So I feel like, I mean, I ate my whole lunch. Like we're body positive here. The, the whole, like <laughs> I, you know, I don't think anybody, um, yeah. I mean, I eat the food that I, that 
I'm not one of those. I'm not one of those bloggers oh, who started a food who who started a food blog because I have food issues and because no, no, that saying, is a certain subset oh, yeah. of food blogger. No, no, but I'm saying like if you didn't have an Instagram account and you didn't have a way a place to like put all this, would you still be driving to all day baby? At this point, go, at this point, yeah. all these I don't know, but I will say that the blog came from a place of it all came from a place of honesty. Mm-hmm. So. I have always, long before I had a food blog, I was always the person at work that was like, where are we going for lunch today Mm -hmm. at 11 o'clock every day? And I would try to round up people at work to go somewhere. Mm -hmm. And some people would bring lunch because they want to save money or they want to work harder or, and I was not about that at any job I've ever had. I I had, I ate lunch out every single day. And did you grow up in a family where, Lunch and like meals were very important. Well, not lunch specifically, but my parents did get, they split up when I was like eight. Okay. And so, but my dad was still around and what he would do is he would come and pick us up every Tuesday and Thursday night and take my brother and I out for dinner. Okay. And then on Saturdays he would get us for the day and we would go for lunch. We'd go to the movies. We'd go to like a food festival. Like my dad liked to eat. And so that sort of, you know, we'd go to food courts like that for sure. Like my love of food courts comes from like Tuesday night, we go to the Dayland Mall food court and I'd eat it like the Chinese food restaurant. My brother would eat at the soup place. And did you have strong opinions, your dad about like dad about, I don't remember. I mean, he definitely, he didn't have like, he actually, we had, he had that, he would always say, Degustibus nonest disputatum. Have you ever heard that? That no. was a big. That was a big saying in my family, what which mean? is in matters of taste there can be no dispute. Oh. So he actually was more of like a. He wouldn't argue about what's better or worse. He would just be like, if you like, like you know that he was more of an enjoyer mm-hmm. than a like a critic. Um, well, one thing I was going to ask you, and we're going to jump around a little bit, but you know, I feel like something happened with you along the way as you did your blog, as you did your Instagram. Where you did start to become more of an authority on things. I mean, you started as a fan and then you became an authority. I mean, you're running this thing where you're like recruiting people to sell, you know, smorgasbord. Like, like, did you have to educate yourself as you were exploring the San Gabriel Valley, as you're exploring, you know, Middle Eastern food in Glendale? Like, did, did you read up on these cultures or you just sort of ate your way through all of it? I mean, I kind of... I, I, I would not call myself an authority. I mean, Jonathan Gold came on your podcast. I mean, like he—he he, he was the. But ultimate. he made. But he told me that the things I believed were wrong. Oh, like really? he was like, "You're an idiot." Like he said you that. Know, well, not in those words, but I certainly felt it in every word. <laughs> like he what? Ever, what, what in every he, word he ever said to me. What did he say you were uh, wrong about? Do you remember? Well, like we had a, we had a, we've had a discussions about a number of things. Like our. And we it, should say, by the way, that John, the late Jonathan Gold was the first and only Pulitzer Prize-winning yeah. food critic in the world, and my personal hero. Yeah, like, he's an incredible. Uh, even though he, I'm pretty sure he did not like me that much. Uh, <laughs> he, he barely acknowledged me. I introduced myself to him. He was like, I may as well have been like a slug on this. The same thing happened to yeah. me when I first moved here. Cause we had like mutual friends from yeah. New York that like, you know, and they were like, Oh, you have to eat with Jonathan and yeah. you have to introduce yourself and blah, blah, blah. And I did. And it did not go well, but he did come on my podcast twice. Amazing. And the great, and that I am so grateful for that time because um, yeah, it was, I just, yeah, I I worship him. But wait, so what and did he call you? So out he, on? I, we had a discussion on the podcast about um, 
one of the big ones was the word authenticity. Mm -hmm. And I told, you know, I actually really like that word. I think it's important. Not in the way that most people think of it when they're like, oh, there's no such thing as authenticity. Right. Like I have a different definition for it that's really important to me and how I love the food that because all the food I love is authentic. Like that's the one word that you can use to describe. But how are you defining all the, So I define it as as it is authentic to the person and the context that of where it is being made and what they are trying to do. Mm -hmm. And it resonates as that. And it's the same with the best art and the best music and the best food that when something is authentic, it's when you take that bite and you just feel, you feel the, the history or the love or the, the honesty, or you feel the person who's created it like that to me is that thing, that intangible thing that you can't describe is authentic, is authenticity. And sometimes it is, it refers specifically to a cuisine of a certain place and time. So for example, this, you could be, uh, say that this is an authentic version of Bangkok style pad Thai, like from a trip that I took to bed. You know what I mean? Like, so it can be authentic, I feel like you're using the word authentic the way like my writing teachers told me to be more authentic as a writer. When well, I was in but that's the, but that's the thing is so so many people are like there's no such thing as authenticity. Right. Like saying that a food is authentic because the truth is is nothing is truly authentic. Everything comes from somewhere else and mm-hmm. has pieces and you know things that come together. Why do but, people get really offended by that? Like, what's the really problematic use of authentic? Well, the really problematic thing is to say authentic. This is authentic Chinese food doesn't mean anything it's a useless because what's authentic right like china china is is enormous is enormous as so many states historically chinese food is you know italian food Ital- authentic italian food well pasta comes from asia like noodles right. come what from asia right. so what do you mean by authentic? right so that's why like i you know we would get it and he told me that i was completely wrong really like he did not accept my and uh, you know it, it hurt. Wait, 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 what was his? What was his response? <laughs> well, he 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 believes that authenticity, authentic, is a stupid word that should never be used to right. describe food because of what uh-huh. I what I just described. That it's not a useful term. Well, the way you described um, it, your definition of authentic. I feel like there is another word to describe. It almost makes listen, you think of like musicians. Listen, who John, play like, like, Jonathan Gold's right. I'm yeah. not. I'm not no, saying, no, but I, get what I just you're wanted saying. him to say that it was possible that maybe I'm right also, but it didn't happen. I almost feel like you're talking about like purity, like a like a like sure, purity but it doesn't, of expression. But that's why authentic. I don't know. It just it can mean like for example, like Wes Avia, who runs Gorilla Taco here in L.A. He makes they're called tacos, right? But the truth is, is there are tons of people who go and eat there and they're like, this is, this is bullshit. Like this isn't authentic. Like right. these tacos are $5 and like the ingredients he uses are like bougie or whatever. And it's like, no man, like that, the, his food is so authentic. Mm-hmm. Like it is the authentic food of a person who grew up in LA of Mexican heritage, who has a fine dining background that is making the food of, of him. Like, mm-hmm. and and 20 years from now, 30 years from now, that style of taco will be seen, you know, the, the what he's doing <laughs> at Gorilla Taco or what like they're doing at Taco Maria, mm-hmm. you know, that will be seen as a thing, as an authentic representation <laughs> of, of gourmet tacos in Los Angeles at this moment in time, the same way that New York Chinese food is authentic. It mm-hmm. is authentic New York style Chinese food is the authentic Chinese food 
of my youth. It is authentic. It's like the ghost of Jonathan Gold's going to push <laughs> his bookcase over on your head right I'd now. I'd be so, I honestly, that would be so exciting. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be very happy with that. Okay, but back to like you and your psychology and food and lunch. Because we started by asking, yes. like, why is it so important to you? So I love food. I think it's because lunch was the meal that at work I just always took. Mm-hmm. Now, later in life, it's become something different. How so? I don't think we should get into it. What do you mean? It's just, it's too dark. It's uh, Why? I mean, so Too now- <laughs> dark, lunch? I didn't even know it could be that dark. And I'm hosting a podcast called it's, Lunch uh, Therapy. I don't, listen- my real therapy is not going well, so I wouldn't uh, expect this to go well. And I don't know great. how deep, that, I mean, we went a great little, how deep you really want to go. Cause it's, go as deep it's, as you're it's willing deep to and dark and I don't think you can help. And I don't think you want to know. I want to know everything <laughs> as long as you're willing to share. No, I mean like, so lunch for me, there's no, you know, when, when I started Midtown lunch, that was my big meal of the day. And I felt like it could be helpful to other people. And so lunch became this thing that I ate every day and maybe it maybe I really did want to write about the dinners that I was having at the time because we were eating these amazing dinners, but <laughs> didn't feel like an authority on that subject. Right. Because I was just starting to eat at these places. And I read some of the things that I wrote when I first started Midtown Lunch and some of the ideas I had and the things that I said about food, especially um I call it ethnic food. That was another thing Jonathan Gold hated, the yeah. word ethnic, like traditional food, sure. whatever you want to call it. There were things I said that I look back now and I'm like, oh my God, I was such an idiot. I didn't sure. know what I was talking about. Well, I've done that too. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm embarrassed by um, it. You know, but, but I didn't have the guts to like write reviews of fancy restaurants. I felt like writing about these. And then I also didn't really write what I thought on Midtown Lunch, or I, I wasn't like, this is the best, or this is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Like, I always wrote in this weird way where I wasn't actually, I was telling you whether or not you would like it based on your taste in food. So at the end of every review I wrote, I would do a plus and a minus. Mm-hmm. And the plus would be, it wasn't as simple as like, these are the good things about this place and the bad things. Yeah. It was, if you're the kind of person who's into this you will love this place. And those are the pluses. If you're the kind of person that's into this, you will hate this place. And those are the minuses. Mm -hmm. And the idea was that someone could read the pluses, the minuses and say, does this place sound like a place that I would want to eat at? That all sounds good And like that's, you know, and that was my MO. Now, when you ask, why do I still go out? Would I still go out and eat lunch? So now uh, I'm married. Mm -hmm. I have three children. Yes. Uh, Two birds and a dog. <laughs> you have two birds. Oh, okay. You, I can't. That story would take. Yeah, let's, that story let's would take. The, that story would take a long time. It does come back around to I'm food. Sure there's a bird. It does come back around to food, but it is. Uh, yeah. Um, and so lunch has become Monday through Friday. Lunch has become my island. Uh, it's like that is that's the one thing in my life that I have complete control yes, over that it. is all mine sure and so and the true and when i moved here to la that actually really works out la like when you first moved here if you either don't have a job or you have a job where you work from home mm-hmm. or you know you don't have a, a a demanding job where you have to be somewhere sure. uh, you know um monday through friday lunchtime is actually the best time to drive around this city <coughs> and yeah. you can i mean i can go from Culver city to San Gabriel Valley in 30 minutes for lunch on a weekday. Mm-hmm. Whereas at night for dinner right, or on a, it, it would be miserable. Mm-hmm. So that's, it actually is like 
you know, it is the perfect meal Wait, why lunch to 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 go far afield and why to, is this dark huh no is i it? meant the kids thing the uh oh that's uh, like the, the one time of it's your the day. one it's the one thing in my uh, life that i we just that's, watched that's I mine saw, i know you went to go see mike berbiglia's show the new oh one. my god that's my life yeah well, I just that watched, was it yeah and if you haven't listened if, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched it, it's on netflix i just watched it with craig and it was great and it's basically like a one-man show about a father and his antipathy towards the idea of having children and then sort of ending up having a kid. And there's just that, some great stuff in it. And I mm. was waiting for, because I someone had told me that the first half is him complaining that he never wants, that kids are the worst. Mm-hmm. The kids are the worst thing you could ever do. Yeah. And the second half is having the kid. Right. And I, the implication was that the second half was going to be how it ended up being great. Right. And that's, that wasn't the show at all. No, like at all. Nine, 95% of the show is him talking about how kids are the worst mm-hmm. and they ruin everything. And I just, um, I have never related to anything I've ever seen or read <laughs> or experienced more in my entire life. I saw it with my wife. She said, I've never laughed harder. She's You've never, never seen on, yeah. me laugh harder. I was crying well, at certain points. The, like the it, weird, because everyone's aware that like of, you know, the, the travails of motherhood and getting pregnant and like, you know, we, I feel like there's a lot of representation of that. And I think the classic thing about the father is they get kind of pushed out a little bit or, or whatever happens, but it hadn't, I hadn't really seen it dramatized so clearly in terms of what happens. to. And I think that, you know, and by the way, there is, I mean, moms have it much worse than dads. Oh, totally. Like I, you know, oh, yeah. that goes without saying, yeah. which is like, which made the show even funnier because mm-hmm. it, it's just so against, like you just don't hear people talking about this, but even for moms, there are moms who feel this way too. Um, and it is, it's not, ex- there, there are people who kids change their life in a way that it makes them more fulfilled and happier than mm-hmm. they've ever been. And there are people that it has the opposite effect. And um, the people who it has the opposite effect, I think, feel like it is not appropriate to talk about it, right? Like no yeah. one, it, you have to say it in a joking way sure. that makes people feel like you're not being serious. But where are you in And this so you're journey? ashamed that I'm in when the kids are the worst thing that can ever happen to you. <laughs> I don't believe that. I'm in, I have, did I mention I have an 11 year old, yeah. an eight year old and a five year old Two birds and a dog. <laughs> but I've seen your Instagram pictures. I mean, your kids look like they had, like they're having the time of their lives. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Instagram. That's yeah. that's that's real life. That's not that's, real uh, life. That's real life. Your son is uh, like what you had, see like, on he Instagram. Looks like he adores you. He's like he reminds me so much of myself. Your son, like just like. That look of like he has like tinted glasses. Does he have tinted glasses? Or yeah, like, well, like uh, transition whatever, lenses. Transition. Yeah, I, I, feel like they, I had yeah, that. Yeah. He has like braces. I mean, I just yeah. feel like whatever he has, like that's what no, I look listen, like. Listen, I, <laughs> I mean. I I know this this the the craziest part about having kids is that when my when my parents got divorced they um the one thing that they made and divorce in the 80s like in Miami it it doesn't seem it seemed pretty cliched right like it wasn't like some crazy like thing that you know um the one thing that they were adamant about was that it was not your fault like to us the mm-hmm. kids this is not I grew up understanding as bad as my parents divorce was mm-hmm. like it had I never felt like it had anything to do with me like they both loved us my dad took us out to dinner two yeah. nights a week like he was I think all that's he was very significant it for is, you too yeah obviously right yeah. and I and I never felt like I wasn't loved I never felt like it was my fault that this happened to my parents mm-hmm. it was so important to them then I had kids and I realized, 
holy shit, that was such a lie. Like, what a lie. They're such liars. Like, I'm not saying that I'm, we were the reason, but we certainly, like, didn't help. Wow. Like, we, can, we must have contributed. I have so a box much. of tissues on the table. I might have to offer Zach. So, okay, now I'm starting to piece things together. So, in the... But by the way, now, as adults, my I have no doubt that I, when my parents, uh, and my dad's gone, but... But but my mom and my dad, when he was still around, when they said to me that I was the best thing that ever happened to them, or my brother and I, and that that we brought them the most joy in their life, I don't doubt that at all. Sure. And I definitely know that I will feel that way about my children. Well, it's like and I do yeah. feel that way about my children, <laughs> sure. but not on a day-to-day basis at this moment in my yeah. life. And that was something that Mike Birbiglia, like, really, like, and I was like, shit, like, I... I could have made money off of this. Should I have written this down? Like, right. should I have done like a podcast about this? Like, this is, I don't know. I well, was, I was, uh, I feel like most of the things in life, it's like that thing of like trying to hold two equal and opposite ideas in your head at the same time. It's like, you can love something and hate something at the same time. And that's possible. That, that's called being Jewish, right? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's all exactly. of, that's everything, right? But in, in, terms our- your, in terms of like what I'm taking away from your psychology, I do you kind of feel like I'm noticing when you just talked about your dad taking you to dinner and you talk about this moment of your day where you get to go to lunch, it feels like in both cases, it was like you have a moment in your day where you get to basically take care of yourself. Like, Well, I just, it's not, it's not even like, it's not the act of eating as much as it is the decision. But it's like you have this moment. I it's just like, do it. Like I do, I don't have to, I don't have to check in with someone else yeah. or make someone else happy or, you know. Although then there is this thing where you go out to lunch with other people and then that whole, uh, it's just, <laughs> I mean. But in terms of your children, do they understand your what you you know what you do and do they understand like what you did and do they do they share your love for food do they value authenticity the way that you do (laughs) um i I have definitely shamed my kids into saying they love food because they know that i wouldn't accept them if they didn't (laughs) all three of them Uh, well they're all listen they're all really good eaters but they all are also because they're really good eaters because my wife and i also decided from the beginning that we weren't going to be the kind of parents that were like Oh, you're not going to like this. Or if they said they don't like something to be like, Oh, no problem. Let me make you some pasta with butter or whatever. I make what I'm making for dinner and they eat it. And if they don't eat it, they're they go hungry. And so (laughs) there are things that they say they don't like, but they've gradually started to like more. How often do they go hungry? Well, that's the thing is they don't, they don't really go hungry. There's always something on the plate that they'll eat. What's been the most dramatic, um, moment of serving them food where they're like we will not eat this and um like, stew stew is a big thing they don't like stew they like they they like cook carrots and like they'll eat raw carrots like they love raw carrots but if they're cooked they're <coughs> disgusting I like, like they won't for kids are like a big deal they won't eat that like stew was a big fight like um and then now i've gotten smart and i've sort of like pulled the meat out and broken it up mm-hmm. into pieces as opposed to just glopping it onto the like food onto a plate right and i think they've started to like that more has that, than, have any of your children though like independently been like hey dad let take me to that cool restaurant so they all have their favorites like and they're all different they all have different tastes so they all have things that they like and they don't like for sure um and there are restaurants that i mean we have the same like kids do you they pick their they have their favorite restaurants and they just beg to go to the same places all the time Mm -hmm. um you know one of them is conveyor belt sushi Uh which i think a lot of parents would be like oh my god your kids eat sushi and they eat stuff like they eat like fish eggs like akura and things they love that 
And I so like interactivity is good for kids. Like Benny well, Hanna, that, like my brother to this day oh, my is brother, like in his 30s. Well, in Miami, it was Samurai, oh, okay. which is now owned by Benny Hanna, but still called Samurai. And that was my brother's favorite restaurant. <laughs> Adam, <laughs> we are the same person. I know, we, we are the same, we have the same brother person. Who loves Benny it's Hanna. freaking crazy. Um, it's actually, I've always wondered why they never took the Benny Hanna concept and applied it to other cuisines. Like, wouldn't you want to watch like a French chef in front of you at a table, like make French onion soup or like an Italian chef? Like, Roll out pasta. I feel like that would be great. I will say that's way better than your cock and balls idea. <laughs> you joke, you laugh at that, but get ready. When I go on Shark Tank and sell this concept, I'm going to be I'll on tell PVC. You, if, if I can get you to come to Smorgasburg once, <laughs> I'll consider it. Okay. I could sell something good. I feel like I have like a, I have something within me that I would sell. I don't know what it is yet. Because in all your years of writing a food blog, your one big takeaway was that starting a food business <laughs> is a good way to make oh money. Absolutely not. No, <laughs> I don't know. So maybe we should talk a little bit about your multiple career transitions. I mean, one of the things I was going to ask you is it's like you have this enthusiasm, you have this zeal, you have this passion for food. And I feel like it's found different forms throughout the years. It's like it found the form of Midtown Lunch and then it found the form of the podcast. And now it's found the form of Schmorgisberg. But like, do you feel like your identity has shifted each time in terms of how you saw yourself? And where do you, you know, what, where do you feel the most comfortable expressing Jeez, this? This really is therapy. I, this is like, hey, I, don't, I don't kid around. That's why I charge $300 an hour. Um, but, you know, where, where, which hat, he actually is wearing a hat right now, I should say. But which hat did you or do you feel the most comfortable wearing? Well, there's no... I mean, I don't, I think that there is, when I was in, ra- I went into radio because I grew up loving music. Mm-hmm. But the reason I went into radio instead of going into, like, going to, like, a record label or something was that because I, I like the idea of, of picking the things that I love and then, like, being a champion for them. Sure. If you go to work for a record label and you're in the marketing department, you don't get to pick the bands. Mm-hmm. Like, Somebody else picks them and then you have to go out and sell them right. whether you love them or not. And if you're an A&R person who signs the bands, you don't just get to sign the bands that you love. You have to convince them that they want to sign with you. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, then somebody else gets to sign them. And, but you know, radio, even though there's obviously a lot of problems with radio, yeah. like in general, you know, you get to hear all the music. Mm-hmm. And if you love a band, you get to play them and Mm -hmm. help them be successful and champion them. And that definitely appealed to me. And that's the way I felt about Midtown Lunch. Mm -hmm. That was the appeal for me was helping these like little places that I loved, you know, that didn't make the kind of money (coughs) that you make from Chipotle or, you know, that companies like Chipotle or these, you know, like fast food restaurants or whatever. And, you know, helping them get more business like mm-hmm. was so appealing to me. Like I really loved it in a way that like doing the other food blog, like mm-hmm. writing about the dinner restaurants and yeah. stuff. Like I was just like, this is just it's bullshit. Like it's uh, like, who cares what I think? It doesn't actually mean any, it's, it's well, I think that that's, it's, that's an interesting thing. Cause like in my early days of my food blog, I would review restaurants and I would be like so glib and just be like, Oh, the breadsticks were dry and our table was sticky. And it's like, I look back on that and I'm like, oh my God, what a little prick I was. But the difference is, is that you, but <coughs> you were a writer mm-hmm. and this, that was just your, what, what you did with Amateur Gourmet was just a, uh, it was a vehicle. It was a vehicle right. for your, your talent, which was writing mm-hmm. and writing well. I not, I'm not a writer, not a writer. 
I'm not a food reviewer. I'm not a, I'm not, I wasn't, I didn't have any, I was just a guy who liked eating lunch. You're good on the radio though. Like, well, I, that was my original career (laughs) was radio, although no one in radio ever really thought that about me either. I don't Uh, know. I mean, but but I think think it makes sense that you did your podcast and it makes sense that you're doing Schmirgisberg now because, because the thing you're describing yourself as being a champion. Well, that was the thing is, so when I moved to LA and I started doing Midtown Lunch in LA and I started my, well, I, I think I started my, I think it was around the time that Instagram was starting to take off. So I started my Instagram account and, uh, and I was freelance writing and I did midtown lunch here in LA where I was just driving around looking for lunches and I felt empty. Like I didn't feel good about it. Like I didn't feel the way I felt in New York In New York midtown lunch was a service. Yeah. Like it was, it was, it, it, it was useful and people and we should emphasize here that the midtown was sort of like a food. It felt like there was nothing there right. until you had your blog. And, and I didn't have to compete with anybody. I didn't have to compete. I didn't right. have to compete with eater or the New York times or right. other bloggers because no one else wanted to write about midtown. Yeah. Like I was the only one. And so I just felt really useful. And out here, I just felt like another blogger, right? I don't know, and influencers posting photos. And it's just this big, like no one's actually like really paying attention or at least not the way it was in New York. I felt that way too, though, to be fair. Like when I got here, I had just done my cookbook and I got here and I was like, oh, I'm going to be a food writer in LA. And I, and that's when I met Jonathan Gold. And so I, met, I just felt like, oh, this the culture, the food writing culture in LA felt very different than it felt in New York. In New York, it felt like more like a community like you'd run into people from the publishing world, you'd run into people from blogging world. Well, that was the other tough thing is that everybody, the publishing world is all centered in New York. Yeah. And so like in New York, you, like you said, you would get to meet all these incredible people who were like the Titans of industry of, yes. of their industry. And I was not, I did not consider myself part of that group and was pretty like, self-deprecating like in the sense of like i don't belong here i'm not a real food writer like i'm just a fat guy who likes to eat and then i came to la with that same attitude like i'm not a real food writer i'm just a fat guy who loves (laughs) to eat and everybody here was like oh okay you're not a real food writer (laughs) and then i looked around at the other people writing about food and i was like wait a second like we're all the same like there's aside from jonathan gold and besha rodell and a few people who were doing truly amazing things most of the food writers quote unquote in la were all of the same same, you know, background. We started blogs or did whatever. And, you know, and I didn't, it, it, it just, it, and it, there wasn't a huge eating community out yeah. here either. Well, New York in, also has in, like, the, like the, those characters like Ed Levine and like Robert Sietzema, like where it's like, you just have these characters that like live this New York life of going to these hole in the wall play. I don't know. I just felt like it was more supported there, that lifestyle and more, you can kind of be just a food person in New York and have an identity in a way that here it, it seemed harder to do. Well, the, and I think part of that is because in <coughs> in New York, um, there are way more eaters. There are way more normal right. people who live to eat yeah. and they have disposable income that they want to spend on food. Mm-hmm. In Los Angeles, when you take all the people who have disposable income and are looking for things to spend their disposable income on, there are far less percentage of those people who are spending their disposable income on eating and drinking out. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, while we have an amazing restaurant industry and we have an incredible uh, 
ethnic can i say ethnic food no, can we just agree so. no. like then what the hell do i say uh, like traditional food multicultural. multicultural food i mean you won't know it. it's like whatever <laughs> you know what i mean like our you know the restaurants here are incredible um but it's hard to make money it's hard to run a successful uh, run a business because there aren't enough people spending enough money the dent the population density um and yes i mean there's certainly uh, tons of restaurants in Koreatown and San Gabriel Valley is an amazing restaurant scene. And there are enormous numbers of second and third generation, like, you know, Korean kids and uh, Chinese kids who grew up in the San Gabriel Valley who are now eating at like John and Vinny restaurants. And are but to me, those are the people that are actually keeping our restaurant industry afloat uh, because the people in the entertainment <laughs> industry with all the money uh, don't spend all their money right. at the best restaurants in general, the way that bankers and lawyers in New York who don't care about uh, how they look in a bathing suit right. or care less or their livelihoods don't depend on it uh-huh. can go out to eat in the wintertime at these super expensive restaurants at 10 o'clock at night and order bottles and bottles of wine and champagne and then stumble into a taxi That's home. Really and so financially it's created two different, you know, but where do you prefer two... to eat? Wait, wait. So now it took me a long time, but I am now for a long time. I was like, Oh, I miss New York so much. Like mm-hmm. LA is, I mean, I love the, 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 you know, I love the lunch scene. Like there's no question that lunch LA beats New York. Like it's not even close. Like when you take into account all the Mexican food, obviously, yeah. but then, uh, you know, Koreatown, Thai town, SGV, Torrance, Artesia, like all these, it's just, I mean, Koreatown alone, yeah. you could spend your life here and not, and not eat at all the places you need to eat in korea what are your top and understand three, like la like people who if they were coming to la or just like what I, are some, i can't do that what are just like what's, what's off the top of your head like what's something that like i'm sorry do you remember the first 20 minutes of the podcast <laughs> where i explained in I detail know. how hard it was for me to pick lunch for myself but like for that's me, the like, irony i can't <clears throat> i can't recommend restaurants to people really? well i can't just say where you should go. If I drive to Koreatown tomorrow, where should I go? Why, what do you want? I don't know. What do you like? Should I go to Spoon by Eight? Yes. I've never been there. No, you shouldn't. Why? Well, yes, it's amazing, but I think I would need to give you a 10-minute description of the restaurant for you to truly appreciate it. Because I don't know if you just went there without any guidance yeah. and just ate there, if it would blow you away. I think you'd be like, I don't get I don't understand why the hell. We talked Everyone's about high going- cholesterol earlier, which you don't have. But the other thing that I have recently is I just got diagnosed with GERD. You have GERD. What is that? Gastroesophageal reflux disease. It's basically acid reflux. But, oh. But it could be like, like, I was just like, it's like from eating a lot of like spicy foods, acid, acidic foods, rich foods. So Also <laughs> called being Jewish. Yeah, exactly. I, guess I, have, okay? I think I have that. Like, but you can eat like every, like, like. No, no, no. I definitely, no. And I have really relatively bad acid reflux i think yeah. like i mean i would yes I, I do get acid reflux i guess i'm asking like for me like a lot of these places that you go like when you got when you post pictures of your meals i'm like oh my god that looks delicious i would feel terrible if i ate that. if you're asking like while i'm eating a mini kebab as i was eating the raw onions what was i thinking jesus i gotta stand in front of a microphone for the next <laughs> hour i'm gonna be like burping up stuff like yes i did have that thought yeah I think that I'm okay, but I also, if I eat a a nice dinner on the weekend, like late at, like with my wife, I can't just go home and go to bed. Right. Or I would need to take like a Zantac or something, or I would 
wake up an hour or two later with like horrible heartburn. So you need to like walk around. So I need, so that's why lunch is my gross meal. Dinner is, you know, with my family at six o'clock on most nights. And then I don't go to bed till 11 or 12 and I'm fine. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think that you just kind of. That's why I'm not 400 pounds. Oh yeah. That's that's the, that's why I'm not like, it's the only reason why when people meet me, they're like, I expected you to be fatter. (laughs) No, but I I think for me, digestion wise, it's, it's something that I feel like that gets rarely talked about amongst food people is like, how does this food like make you feel, you know? Cause like, as I get older, I'm like, Oh, like, you know, I'd love to eat a donut right now, but I know what I'll I, feel I can't think about that. <clears throat> and I'm, I never want to change because I, if I started eating healthy tomorrow, mm-hmm. I might find out that the food I eat makes me feel horrible. Oh. And what I consider to be just the way I normally feel is actually like really terrible. And you don't want to find that out? No, of Why? course not. What because uh, what would happen is I'd realize that, uh, I don't know. I just, I don't want to <laughs> it would unravel your whole identity. Yes, yeah, like, yeah. That's like, sort of what I truly, that's, that's what feels like what happened with me with like trying to get healthier with the cholesterol thing was like, I kind of shifted away from food for a little bit. And then it's sort of like now hard to go back. Like, like, especially in terms of being an adventurer, like going and eating all the exciting places and doing all, you know, driving into the San Gabriel Valley and going to Koreatown. It's sort of like when you let that go, it's like you, it's, it is hard to reintegrate. To, to answer your question, I do feel better than I did when I ate all, the, all that stuff. But I do miss the excitement of just eating and not thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, no, by that, by your description right there, I am in prime yeah. fighting weight right now. I mean, I'm just like <laughs> I can I can handle anything. So did we talk about, like, I feel like we're getting near the end already, which is crazy. This flew I told by. you there was a lot too much. No, no it wasn't too much too, at all. Can't go too deep. No, it wasn't enough. Be here for, for years. But I wanted to ask you in terms of, like, growing up, talked about your dad taking you to um, restaurants and stuff. And it feels like going to restaurants and going to these places is the, like, central part of your food identity. But what about cooking? And did you grow up with home-cooked food? And do you cook a lot at home? And how does cooking play into it? I don't know. What did your mom do? Because I feel like it's the same as what my mom did. Never That cooked. was another thing. I think your mom... But didn't she have, like, five <coughs> dishes that she made and you grew up eating them? And Not those really. Were, she would, oh. like, microwave potato latkes. She had... Um, she would buy, like, iceberg lettuce and, like, make a salad with, like, red... Uh, like, you know... Island red wine vinegar dressing, whatever that's yeah, called. Yeah, yeah, where you shake it up in yeah. the... Yeah, of course. Yeah, up. that's... Um, no, she never cooked it. We, that, we, what are you saying? That's not a salad? But we barely ate at home. We went with, to... Uh, um, with chichi beans? We went uh, to... Yes. With, no, actually, she didn't do that. We went to um, Olive Garden, TGI Fridays, Chili's, and um, Wilt Chamberlain's restaurant in Boca. <laughs> actually, Wilt Chamberlain and Pete Rose both opened restaurants in Boca around the same time, and we would eat dinner at Wilt Chamberlain's and Pete Rose's alternate night. Oh my God, that's so. My mom did actually cook, but she cooked like she wasn't a good cook. She just cooked like five or six things that Where she, were they? you know, like meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and peas. But like it was usually turkey meatloaf, and it certainly didn't. It had ketchup on top, but never had like bacon or anything like. And was this all in Florida? Did you? Yeah, have, it was no Miami. Yeah. All Miami. Yeah, yeah. Um, and oh, when, she would make a shrimp scampi. Have you okay. ever had shrimp scampi yeah. before? Garlic, yeah. parsley. Uh no, I no don't, parsley, yeah, yeah. no butter either. What uh, was it? What was it? Yeah, exactly. What was it? And why did she call it shrimp scampi? <laughs> I don't oil? know. She would take, she would take uh shrimp, mm-hmm. um, and she would uh dip it in egg wash, okay, and then roll it in breadcrumbs. Oh, it's like okay. fried shrimp. No, okay. no. Uh, and then she would take a Pyrex dish, spray it with Pam. Yeah. Lay the shrimp about two inches apart on this Pyrex dish okay. that had been breaded, and then take sliced garlic and sprinkle it 
in the spaces between the shrimp okay. on the Pyrex dish, stick it in the oven to bake it, mm-hmm. and then it would come out this baked breaded shrimp, mm-hmm. and then she would serve it with Uncle Ben's white rice in a bag okay. and a squeeze of lime juice on top of the shrimp. Doesn't that sound bad? It wasn't bad. And as a kid, I mean, it was one of the things I ate of my mom's growing up. Um, it's not like there was enough but fat it was not there, shrimp though. scampi. Yeah. There was no fat. There was no like it. The flavor was the lime juice. Right. And if you ate the crisped up pieces of garlic <laughs> that were sprinkled in between the shrimp. <laughs> yeah. And that's what my mom would do. She would eat the crisped up pieces of garlic. So do you make this for your kids? No, I do not make what that do you, for so my do you kids. Do you do most of the cooking? Or, yeah. yeah. And what do you what do you make for your I kids? I cook. So I do the same. Th- I have the same <gasps> things that I make, but. It's, you know, I'll make pasta once or twice mm-hmm. a week, usually like either a red sauce that I made myself mm-hmm. um, or I'll just do like, you know, pasta with garlic and olive oil with nice. like a vegetable and a protein. So like shrimp, broccoli, pasta, garlic, olive oil. Do your kids have a favorite thing that you make? Uh, like my, that's my son's favorite is the shrimp and gar- shrimp and broccoli pasta mm-hmm. my daughter likes my lasagna i'll make lasagna every once in a while um i make like cutlet like chicken cutlets mm-hmm. I'll, i just do like protein i do protein vegetable starch and do you think you're a good like cook? for every meal like, are you a good cook i am a i think that i am uh i am a good i am a good fam i'm a good family cook for a dad i think <laughs> like i know um, I know how to make, if you came over to dinner, you would be like, oh, this is, you know, yeah. but I, nothing that I make rises to the level of the stuff that you're making on oh, your Instagram well. stories. Thank right. You. And, and when you consider how you think of yourself compared to the cooks that you have always admired, right? like it's, it's a very steep skit. Like I am not a good cook. I can't, I don't, way, very, I'm not I don't, I don't go into my, I don't go into my fridge and like, I can't like whip up stuff without, I have things that I make that are based on recipes. Um, I can swap a few things in and out, but not really. I'm not a very, I don't go to the farmer's market and like get inspired. We have a whole family to to, cook for too. That's very different when, when, you know, it's like, I'm just cooking for me and Craig. I can like get the like organic radicchio and but even it with a mandolin or whatever. Even when I was cooking for my wife and I, when I would make like, uh, I'd make curries from, you know, Thailand or Indonesia mm-hmm. or different dishes that I had learned to make when we traveled. Like it was always from a recipe. It was never like, oh, I can swap this out yeah. for this and it'll turn this turn out the same. I only really do that with like pasta. I mean, like as much as it seems like I do that, I don't really do But that. listen, everything that you've learned over the past 10 right. years are skills that have turned you into someone who could not cook at all to someone who actually can cook really well compared to almost everybody you oh. know. Well, thank you. The only people you would compare yourself negatively to are all the people in our industry that, cli- that are, you know, that you professional. Cook. Yes. Who you have learned a lot. Well, I from. will take that compliment. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we're nearing the end. Every I'm, podcast. Basically, can I just say what yeah. I'm saying is, is that your Instagram makes me embarrassed oh. and, uh, and depressed. I don't think it should. I feel like you cook the food. I mean, like, you know, I feel like, you end up cooking the food that makes sense for you. Just too. wanted to end it on a therapeutic <laughs> note. Just get oh, something yeah. off my chest. Yeah, yeah. wow. That, a lot uh, of you make us all feel bad because you are making these amazing things. You know, there's something in therapy called transference. So I feel like either that, like I'm taking on a role for you where you can take out that aggression um, on me of, of the anger that it brings up in you. But before we end, I have to ask you. We always start with what, what did you have for lunch? But I like to end with 
what are you going to have for dinner tonight? What am I going to have for dinner? You're well, so I, nervous. Why are you so God, nervous? Well, I was like, she said, do I know what I'm going to do yet? Uh, I defrosted a pack of boneless, skinless chicken thighs. Okay. Which I think will get, uh, will get, uh, I'll make cutlets out of those, like chicken cutlets. Mm-hmm. And I'll serve it with, I have leftover pasta sauce and one meatball from the other night. Okay. So I'll make a little bit of pasta mix it with that sauce and serve it on the side of, as a side of the chicken cutlet. One meatball? Well, I'll just break up the meatball oh, into that. But it's just, that'll be the starch, even yeah. though two days ago that was the whole meal. Have you ever made a chicken tagine? Uh, chicken tagine. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. So my my wife's brother and sister bought me a tagine from like William Sonoma oh, along with the cookbook. Yeah. And I've made like, I've made that a bunch of times yeah. and it's amazing. With like preserved lemon. Well, I see that's the thing. So I haven't, I don't, I haven't gone that far because to have the foresight to like buy those ingredients yeah. in particular, not usually, but I do like basmati rice. I've gotten like, uh, like dried, different dried fruit, like little dried fruits, like not raisins, but like, <coughs> like apricots like, and stuff. Uh, no, yeah. Like apricots or even like the tiny little, they're not raisins. What are they? Berberries or what are they called? Little barberries. Barberries. Yeah, I don't I think know. So, yeah. Or dried cherries I've gotten before. Like Persian. So you have the, how many chicken thighs do you have? Uh, tonight? Yeah. Oh, oh, are you giving me, you're saying yeah. I should make a tagine instead of, I don't know. If I was going to do that, I would have bought the skin on bone in chicken oh, thighs. These aren't skin on. These bone. are no. Oh, yeah. These are like don't do that. no, no. These are just gonna this get terrible. Yeah, these are just gonna get. And then maybe I'll just like saute some spinach and put it on the side, and that's it. Gotcha. Well, Zach, we're, this is basically the end. But before you go, I gotta ask you. So, like, this is my podcast. You had a very successful podcast. Do you have any pointers or tips like going going along that like I should any advice for me as before as this grows like on your podcast well yeah i mean like like what did you learn doing your podcast oh. um oh, <laughs> God. Uh, i guess maybe a better question is like what, what was the high, highlight for you and when when did you start to feel like you wanted to end it oh uh when well i mean i still would want to do it like yeah. i'm thinking about bringing it back Good, and starting it again like um and by the way i was a guest on your podcast you are, yeah everyone should archive. totally go and listen Food to that is the new rock. uh we had you play your piano live this was before you were doing i feel like it was before you were really doing your piano on instagram stuff oh, you're yeah. an incredible musician another uh-huh. thing that <laughs> makes me angry when I watch it. i'm like how did I feel like you're my biggest fan and my biggest uh, enemy in a, in a weird way. Well, it's it's feeling <laughs> it's feeling two different ways about the same thing. Oh, yeah, exactly. And not knowing which is going to win out. I'm like your children. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you can love them and hate them at the same time. Um, well, what were we going to say? So, so you ended it, but you, we might bring it back. I think, listen, I think that podcasting is as long as you enjoy doing it mm-hmm. and you get to talk to people that you want to talk to yeah. and have a good time. Like, and, you know, it's... Uh, fun that's what i'm trying to do like i'm trying not to like stress out too much about it just have friends on people on that i really like and people i admire um and then just let it just be i mean you I will do. never not have people who need therapy <laughs> and therapy. are willing to come on and, and, <laughs> and, and unload on you for an hour for free <laughs> well uh, fair enough it's been very enjoyable i'm gonna leave here in a better mood than when i got here that's all I can so, ask for. Uh, uh, thank you. Lunch therapy session. Uh, next week, same time, same place. Is that how this works? Um, sure. The door <laughs> might not unlock, but come on by. Well, thank you, Zach. Have a good dinner. Thanks for having me. Yeah.